know we've already recognized it, but a big thank you to particularly Rhett, and I still want to be called out, and everybody who made this happen, right? Can, like, just a round of applause again, like, man, that looks so cool. I'm tempted to, like, preach here on the platform, but um, no, we won't do this. Um, So today we're walking through, uh, continuing to walk through the Gospel according to Luke. We're in this multi-year series where we're walking through the book of Psalms and the Gospel according to Luke, and then the book of Acts. And the goal here is to have our attention on Jesus. We want to walk through the songbook that Jesus would have sung in synagogue. This is that, that whole book of Psalms. And then we want to walk with Jesus, literally walk with Him through the Gospel according to Luke. And then we want to see, how did His followers walk into the world, following Him in real life, everyday experiences? And so we're just doing this multi-year series. And today we walk into the next section of Luke, chapter 8. And up to this point, particularly in chapter 7 and and what we have already studied in chapter 8, we've noticed two themes that have just been woven into those two chapters, and that is Jesus is doing unexpected things for unexpected people. That, that theme has just been woven into those two chapters up to this point. Unexpected things for unexpected people. And Luke is also making sure to paint a picture along the way of who Jesus is. And he is fully human, and he is fully God. Those two themes just are running through those two chapters. And today it just follows because we're going to see Jesus doing unexpected things for unexpected people. And again, Luke painting a picture about who Jesus is. We're going to come into contact with a synagogue leader who then Jesus heals this 12-year-old girl. And we're also going to watch him interact with, even uh, be touched by a woman on the margins of society, a woman who probably been uh, banished up to that, at that point because she was considered unclean. And Jesus then just heals her, demonstrating who He is, but again, unexpected things for unexpected people. What's unique about this passage, though, is that these two stories get put together in a unique way. And it's at that point, how they're put together, that we're going to find applications for your life, my life, like today, this Sunday. So here we go. We'll pick up with Luke chapter 8. If you have a Bible with you, you can follow along. We'll be in Luke chapter 8. We'll picking up with verse 40. And today we'll just, we'll be walking through the passage uh, in pieces. We're not going to read the whole thing all together. We're, uh, you know, at one, at one, um, at one time we'll, we'll just break it up and we'll, have some insights along the way. Verse 40, here we go. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Well, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. I just want to pause there. Because right out of the gate, this is an unexpected person. We don't expect a synagogue leader to come to Jesus for help. If you remember the first time we see Jesus in a synagogue in Luke chapter 4, right after that experience, the people try to throw him over a cliff. So like the first time we see Jesus doing anything in a synagogue, it doesn't seem to go well. And yet here, a synagogue leader comes 
begging Jesus for help. It's not who you'd expect coming to Jesus. Just like you didn't expect in chapter 7 for a Roman military officer to come to Jesus. And yet here he is. And I'm not sure that Jairus liked Jesus. But he'd gotten to a point that his only hope was Jesus. And you can just imagine maybe the progress of the story before we come to Luke chapter 8 verse 40. At some point, his only daughter, only daughter, has gotten sick. We don't know with what. We don't know how severe. But along the way, maybe it's been weeks, maybe it's been days, her condition has worsened. And I am sure he has brought in as many medical experts as he could find in that town. Maybe even expanded his reach through the region. And I am sure people in the synagogue have been praying to the God of Israel that his daughter would be healed. But none of it has worked and she's gotten worse. And now, I can imagine, they've gotten word that Jesus, this man who supposedly heals people, has come into town. And I don't know who gives him the idea or if he has it himself. But he decides, I'm going to have to go to Jesus. And he hits, he gets to Jesus and he just hits the ground, begging that Jesus would help him. And somewhere in verse 42, in the middle of verse 42, Jesus decides, I'll come, I'll come, let's go to your house. And so they start moving. We'll pick up in the middle of verse 42. Here's what happens next. As Jesus was on the way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When, all, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What an amazing story that one is. And really, you could spend the whole rest of our, our time together on that story. So as Jesus is walking along, at some point, Jesus stops. Not only because the people are just crushing around him, but because someone has touched him. And he, and he calls the person out. Like, you can't stay anonymous. And everyone denies it. No, no one, no one has, like, touched you in some weird way. Like, I, we don't know what you're talking about. Peter doesn't even understand. Like, Jesus, literally, everybody's touching you. And Jesus, though, clarifies no, someone touched me in a particular way. Power has gone out. Something has happened. Someone has been healed. Jesus knows what has happened. He knows who it is. But he wants her called out so she can give her testimony. And it's not just that she just touched him. She touches him in a particular way. Now, what would drive her to finally get to a point to go from the margins of society to move into a crowd, even with her bleeding, and surely people knew who she was, to getting to the point to just touch him. This was a desperate woman. Now Luke doesn't give us all the details about her, but in the Gospel according to Mark, we get this added detail about this woman. Look, note how Mark describes her. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This is probably a woman of means, a woman who had resources. But over 12 years getting the best medical care she could afford, she now has no, no money, and she's actually worse. And so her only hope is to get to Jesus. And she does. And she touches Him. And it's not that there's something magical about touching Jesus. Because tons of people were touching Jesus. It's that she touched Him with faith. She really believed something would happen. I like what one commentator says about this moment. He says this, The way she gained access to His healing power was by reaching out to Jesus with the hand of her faith. However timid she may have been, when she touched the corner of his robe, she believed that she could be healed. She was so desperate, there was no more hope, and now here's Jesus, and so she believed, if I can touch him, I don't even need him to say anything, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't call anyone else daughter in the Gospel according to Luke. It's only this woman that he gives this title of daughter. And if we remember just a few verses back, Jesus tells a crowd that it is those who hear and obey God's Word that are His brothers and sisters. They are part of His family. There is something about the faith of this woman rooted in the promises that Jesus has been making and somehow she's caught in wind of that she goes, touches, is healed, and Jesus immediately brings her in. Someone on the margins of society gets brought in by faith she is healed. Now, man, there are lessons there. There are a lot of lessons there. I think there are lessons for us. And I imagine there in that moment that people are just, there are people that are just amazed. Some probably don't believe. But it's this amazing moment, an amazing healing, an unexpected thing for an unexpected person. And I imagine there's a lot of joy in that moment. But there's one person in the crowd. There's one person in that moment that is becoming increasingly angry and anxious. You know who that is? It's Jairus. Can you imagine the scene? His daughter's dying. Time is of the essence. Jesus has agreed to go to his house, heal his daughter. They're on their way. The crowds are crushing him. And you can already just, just imagine, you can just, just project what Jairus is thinking as the crowds slow him down. People, i got to get to my daughter. I need this man to get to my home because my daughter is dying. And then, not only does Jesus slow down, he stops. Can you imagine in that moment what's going through Jairus' mind? What are you doing? we got to keep going. My daughter is dying. And then Jesus doesn't just stop. He like wants to have a conversation. Who? Who touched me? And then they got to go through the process of everyone denying it. And then the woman has to come forward. And then she has to tell her story. And the whole time, Jairus stands there knowing that his daughter is dying. And he thought Jesus was going to get there in time. And then the thing that he feared most happened. We pick up in the story, verse 49. 
We'll just read verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. In that moment, the thing Jairus had had feared the most, now comes true. But we don't know what is going through Jairus' mind at this point. But if you get news that your child has died, I imagine there's a lot of things that go through your head. Dreams of what your child would be. Memories of all the years you had together. And all of it gone. And this is his only daughter. I imagine he's thinking about his wife, what she's experiencing, all of it. And I imagine he's pretty angry. If only this woman wouldn't have touched Jesus. If Jesus wouldn't have just stopped. If Jesus would have just moved quicker. If the crowds would have just left him alone. And yet now, the worst has happened. And here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible usually doesn't leave us in despair. Because in the middle of the worst... Jesus speaks. Verse 50, here it is. So that was verse 49. Now we move to verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. That is is quite, quite the promise. And at that moment, Jairus has a decision to make. Because Jerry doesn't have to keep going. I mean, the servant has just come and said, don't bother the teacher. Jerry could have told Jesus, Jesus, listen, thank you. Or he could have said something else to Jesus, not so kind, and said, I'm done. And he could have turned and walked away. That, that's within the realm of possibilities. Jerry has to decide, what does he do with the words of Jesus? As he stands at the edge of hopelessness. We pick up verse 51. Verse 51, we read this. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he, that's Jesus, did not let anyone go in with him except who? Peter, John, and James. And who else? The child's father and mother. So, When Jairus gets hit with the worst news he could have imagined in verse 49, and then is given the words of Jesus in verse 50, we find out in verse 51, he decided to stick with Jesus. And so they go. And he keeps walking with Jesus. He had the option to turn away. He goes with Jesus. Here's how the story ends. We pick up verse 52. Meanwhile, all the people were waiting and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. I imagine the silence didn't last very long. Jesus raises her back from the dead. Now, there are some things we could talk about here on how Jesus understands death and his own relationship with death. He didn't see this death as a final death. For him, it was as simple as sleeping because he knew what he was about to do. 
And in this moment, he brings back to life. Just like he brought back to life the son of the widow, the dead son of the widow, he brings her back to life. And he gives her back to her mom and dad. Now there are some things I want to highlight in this. Just let's, I just want to cover them fairly quickly. But there's some things I don't want us to miss along the way as Luke has pieced together these two stories into one. And one of them is this. At no point in the story, these two, these two events, do we ever find out why they suffered. We don't know why this woman suffered for 12 years. There's no answer for that. There's no answer to why Jesus allowed the girl to die. We know that he was able to speak a word and heal the servant of the Roman military officer. For some reason, this suffering is allowed to happen. And we don't know why. There's no answer in the story. We just know that Jesus heals both of them. That in the hands of God, they are made right. But why? We don't know that. I think that's important for this reason. Because I think we have, at least I've heard it, and at times I've carried it, we like to think that once we get to heaven, that is, once we are with God, and we're finally with God, what are we all going to do? We're going to ask Him, why? We were going to ask Him, why this, and why that, and why, why did that happen, or this happen? And we think we're going to come up with all these answers, and we're all finally going to be satisfied. That's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible is there a promise you're going to understand the suffering of this world. What we do get the promise of is all the suffering that God's people go through will be made right. And it's there we will be satisfied. Not in having a bunch of answers. Actually, the Bible says that you don't, you won't and don't understand the full range of God's decisions or his sovereign will. Probably one of the best passages for that, although there are many, is Romans 11.33. Paul writes this near the end of a long section on why God does, or about what God is doing. He says this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. So maybe we need to be satisfied with the fact that God makes all things right. Not that you and I are going to get a satisfying answer once we get to heaven. Maybe you will. But that promise is not in the Bible. Another thing that comes to mind is this. When Jesus tells Jairus to believe, he literally is, is standing in front of Jairus. This wasn't a generic call to believe. It's not believe and believe. Have faith and faith. It is a call to believe him. So, like, I don't want faith. I want faith in a person. It's not, we're not, we're not believing an abstract idea somewhere. It's not just good vibes. I don't, I don't even know what it means to send good vibes. I've been sending good vibes all over the place. Have you felt them? I don't know. Like, do you feel my good vibes? I don't know if you feel my good vibes. But you're going to know if I pray for you. Because I'm praying to a person, and that person can do something for you. Jesus is calling Jairus to have faith in him, a person, not vibes, not a feeling. It's a person. Jesus is a person. He was on earth and he is now fully human and fully God. When you pray, you pray in the name of a person. We have faith in a person and that person has particular attributes and you can trust him with everything. 
So faith is very personal in the story. It's not generic. Another thing I notice is this. The order of things is really important, right? So like verse 49 hits the worst news he could have ever gotten. And you, I don't know how you create faith in the valley of that news. I don't know. How do you get faith there? You can't like just will it into existence. Like I'm just going to try to have faith as I've just received the worst news in the world. No, faith emerges for Darius after Jesus speaks. So notice the order. Jairus doesn't will up a bunch of faith. Jesus says, believe, she's going to be healed, and then something happens inside of Jairus. Now here's what I want you to know. Here's the principle that's just rooted in the Scriptures. Faith grows on the other side of God's Word. Sometimes people say, I just don't have enough faith. And then these are also people who just never read the Bible or never encounter the Bible. You're going to have a hard time having faith if you never encounter God's Word. Faith grows on the other side of God's Word. You need God's Word, and in the aftermath of that faith grows. Jerry didn't believe before Jesus spoke. He believed after the promise. So, we just had this last week, but it's worth repeating. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the, wor- the good news about Christ. Some translations say the Word of Christ. So we need God's Word. We've got to have it. Faith grows on the other side of it. And then just last, something that really comes to mind, kind of related to faith. Jairus couldn't have stood there as Jesus walks off and said, I believe you, Jesus. Like, as Jesus is saying, come with me, Jairus, Jairus just stands there and says, no, I believe. Well, then you need to come with me. No, no, I believe. Faith grows in real life with real decisions. Like, Jairus actually had to do something. He just couldn't stand there and have great ideas. His feet literally had to move. Let me say it this way. I I think this. Jarius, I imagine he taught hundreds of lessons in in synagogue about faith. I mean, years he was teaching on faith. But it wasn't until he trusted Jesus at the edge of hopelessness and he started literally walking with him that his faith grew. Sometimes the only way your faith is going to grow is when you actually make a decision that requires you to count on God to bail you out. That's where faith will grow. Not just in willing it or talking about it. You've got to do something. And I think it's there. I think it's in the we've got to do something, even in the midst of the valley, that there's application for us. So go with me on this. Because I'm going to pull on the actual passage. And I mean literally how the verses are set up. Here we go. Here's where I think the application is for us today. I think at some point, all of us will experience that space between verse 49 and 50. Like, what, I'm try- what I want to get at here is this. I think there's a moment that all of us will experience where you get the worst news you could have imagined, and yet you hear the invitation from Jesus to keep following Him. It's in that space you and I have to decide what we will do. And so, if I had to ask it in, like, question form, 
Here's how it would sound. What will you do when you're between verse 49 and 50? Said another way, what will you do when you're at the edge of hopelessness, looking at Jesus as he invites you to fear not and believe? What are you going to do? I'm telling you, I know enough people now over my years of ministry and just being a human being, there are people who have walked away with God, away from God. They've walked away from church because they have been hurt or God didn't answer prayers like he, they wanted him to answer them. They're mad. They're frustrated. They're hurt. They're sad. And they've just given up. One of the toughest things to do sometimes is to keep putting one foot in front of the other when you can't see hope. And yet Jesus literally calls us here in this moment as he did Jairus, even when you are at the edge of hopelessness, when you hit your verse 49, you keep walking. Even when you don't feel like being in church, your rear end is going to be in a pew. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel like reading the Bible because God has so disappointed you, you keep opening up the Bible. Maybe you just read a verse a day. Don't try to run a marathon. Just start with something. Maybe things are so tight, you can't imagine being generous. And yet Jesus calls you, you've got to be generous. I got, it's got to work out wherever you are. I just know we hit verse 49. All of us are going to hit verse 49. Or we have hit verse 49. And we got to hear the promise. And we got to get ourselves to verse 51. Where we keep walking with Jesus. Now, just in case I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm like making this too big, because I imagine most of us may, are probably not going to hit our verse 49 this week. Like this probably might, this for most of us, will be an ordinary week. Now, there'll be a lot of excitement because we got BBS, but in general, this will be just a normal week. There'll be no verse 49. Don't miss the principle as it applies to ordinary life. I recently was talking to a business owner. And he has had a customer send him a message with some urgency. I need a rebate. I need a rebate. I need you to give me a rebate. I need to know how much now. And this customer was asking for a rebate at a level that would have wiped out this owner's profit with this customer. Now, if you do that with all of your customers, you know what happens to your business? You become a former business owner. That's what happens. And so... This business owner, as I was talking with him, literally, I, I, I actually w met with him in the midst of him trying to navigate this because it had implications across the board. Now, this wasn't verse 49. This wasn't the worst news in the world. But it was a very challenging moment because God says, you trust me. You treat people right and you trust me. But you also don't just tank your business. What am I going to do? And so he came up with a way of giving a rebate, but not at the level the, the customer wanted. And he made the decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the call, I'm going to make the offer, and I'm going to have to trust God with what happens next. That, right there, I'm going to make the call and trust God with what happens next. That is what it looks like to take a step. I, I don't, like, it can get as simple as, like, I'm very frustrated with this human being, and they need to be reamed out. And I think I'm the one God's calling. But you don't. And you 
you, uh, you, um, you let go of having the last word in that moment that you really want the last word. And you trust God with the outcomes. That can be a simple, that, that, that's just, that could be everyday life for how we walk from that space between verse 49 and 50, knowing that God calls us to live a particular way and we keep walking in a decision. So I just want you to know there's a range of how to apply this. The goal is that wherever you find those moments that you have to make a decision to follow Jesus, even when it's uncomfortable, you put one foot in front of the other and you make that decision and you count on God to bail you out. So how in the world does that get down onto a next step? I mean, I thought about this a long time. What in the world are we going to do? Maybe I should call the people that God is calling them to give me massive amounts of money. And then maybe I will call them to make that decision. Maybe I could do that. And if not that, maybe just bags of peanut M&Ms. I don't know. Like, maybe I call them to this. And that probably won't work. So, although I did say it, I mean. Um, but I thought maybe it could just be as simple as a daily habit that I think all of us have. So here we go. Here's the next step. With your hand on your shoes each morning, pray this. Help me walk with you today. That's it. Because here's what I'm thinking. Like, this, this whole application is about what it looks like for you to follow Jesus today. With everyday decisions, some of them may become very significant. Because there may be a day where you hit verse 49, where you receive the worst news you could have imagined. Or maybe you just hit a very difficult decision. But whatever it is, you're going to have to hear the call of Jesus, the invitation to walk with him in that moment. And that moment will be that day. It won't be like tomorrow. It'll be that day, that moment. So I thought, well, maybe when you put your shoes on, and some of you I know may have sandals, and you kind of slip your foot in the sandal. The goal here is, as you put whatever you wear on your feet this week, as you do that, remember that you need help walking, and I mean literally walking. That's the point of the shoe. Walking with Jesus that day. Now, I thought I might give you something, like, to put in your shoe, but you, some of you already have things in your shoes. Uh, and so I thought, well, I don't want to, like, mix you up. So as you put your shoes in, if you've not been to East 10th for a while, there was a next step to pray for people you don't like or your enemies, and you put that in your shoe to remember that. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying some of you have, like, really nasty things in your shoes. <laughs> I'm just thinking through, like, what, what was I trying to say there? Um, so so just, just as you put your shoes on, Tomorrow, just remember, you need help walking tomorrow with Jesus. Ask Him for the help, and maybe you'll remember when you hit your decision moments, you keep following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and how, by inspiration, You pieced it together just this way. Thank You for giving Luke this inspiration. No errors here. We're just so grateful for the foundation it gives us. So help us, particularly those in our church family that literally have received some of the worst news that they ever could have imagined. Would you help those brothers and sisters of ours keep walking with Jesus? And for those of us that may not have those massive decisions, such bad news hit us, that even in the day-to-day decisions, we will walk with Jesus. 
And we sure are going to need your help for that. So we pray that in his power and by his grace. And together we say, Amen.